For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. A very special lineup today, not only two terrific guys and good friends, but in keeping with the theme and the thesis of the Anthony Gordon Show, we're going to try something special. Uh, I think it's safe to say that James Walker and Andrew, aka Andy Bernstein, uh, are uh, two folks that have earned their stripes uh, in the sports world, uh, behind a microphone and a camera, respectively. And more to the point, perhaps, of the topic at hand for today, uh, I think they're two guys that also understand that life has its ups and downs. We've just come out of arguably the most challenging year you know, in many people's lives. So I twisted both of their arms, asked them to give up some time to be on the show, to discuss, amongst other things, life in the sports world post-coronavirus. Uh, number two, we're going to be touching on the, the types of life lessons uh, that they have respectively learned from the world of sport, perhaps the uh, NFL and NBA respectively. Um, and, th- and then we're going we're gonna to also be looking uh, you know, basically at the the year 2020 with 2020 hindsight, and we're going to try and extrapolate some important life tools to navigate this journey called life. So maybe let's first start off. Uh, what do you think of that as an opening gambit, Andy? Not bad, huh? I don't know, man. I might have to take a nap in between those subjects. But yeah, <laughs> it sounds, pretty, sounds pretty good, my friend. <laughs> uh, okay, terrific. Uh, so I, I will uh, uh, let me start with James. James has uh, had a very celebrated career as a broadcaster, primarily with ESPN, primarily the uh, uh, the NFL. But one of the most incredible things that I've come to learn about James, and I think the success as a broadcaster is just a very broad, multi-dimensional uh, sort of taking the discussion way beyond just the touchdown. So. Maybe just if I could ask you to kick off, pun intended, uh, James, just your thoughts on the journey ahead, the new world, and how you think it may impact sports and perhaps, you know, if if you're more comfortable keeping it uh, to football, by all means. Yeah, it's it's interesting interesting because sports has always been kind of an escape and and, um, at the same time, a microcosm of, of things going on in the real world. And, you know, I'm sure we'll address this stuff as we go, but, you know, I think something that really, really stands out to me right now is that television ratings have really been down uh, last year, really across 
all major sports. And thinking of it logically, you would think that during a pandemic, everyone yeah. is home. You know, why is why are ratings going down amongst all all sports? You would think it would naturally go up, um, yeah. and especially without people attending games and, and things like that. Uh, but I, I think you know this pandemic has really forced a lot of people to kind of think about where sports kind of figures out yep. in their in their lives overall and um, maybe it isn't as uh, as preeminent or or as dominant as you know as it really should be at the at the time so you know for for example you know it's arguing is MJ or Kobe or LeBron the, the best player ever you know is, is that really as important post pandemic you know on people's everyday minds, day-to-day minds than, than it was yep. before. And I'm saying that as a, you know, as a longtime former reporter where, you sure. know, for 16, 17 years, this was my, this was my life. This was my career. Uh, but I, I think more than anything um, over the past, you know, 10 months or so, you know, going on a year now, I think people are kind of figuring out where sports kind of figures yep. in their life on the, on the general hierarchy. So uh, I'm hearing, you know, perspective, Priorities, uh, you need a, a worldwide pan- pandemic to sort of jolt us into reality. Andy, your, your, uh, your, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it is a paradox because you would think that um, people are home more, like you said, and that uh, something has to fill the void. Um, yeah. I, I, I like the way James described it. You know, it's also kind of weird in, in our world of podcasting that podcasting numbers have gone down since the pandemic and, and some that. research was, yeah, some research was done with that. And, and it found research found basically that most people listen to podcasts during their commute. <laughs> so if they're not commuting in their cars or on the train or a bus or whatever, um, they're not going to take, you know, 35, 40, 50 minutes to listen to a podcast. Usually, you know, people are home with their families more. I don't know. It's it's a conundrum to me, honestly, because I would think people are so starved on March 11th when all the yep. sports shut down, right? That people were so starved for for sports of any kind. And you saw the numbers that the Last Dance documentary got yep. which were yep. through the roof because people would people probably would have watched ten episodes of Michael Jordan tying his shoes at that point, you know. <laughs> um, but point being is that. You know, when sports started to come back with, I guess, I guess baseball was the first and then MLS and, and of course the NBA came back, WNBA, Um, you know, yes, people were tuning in and watching, but maybe they just had more important stuff on their minds, you know, like feeding their family, staying healthy, you know, um, trying to keep the businesses open. So maybe it points to the fact that sports are more of an escape then we realize, yeah. but not in, a, in an escape in like a life and death scenario, which is what we've been in for the last year. You're 100% correct. I mean, I think the, the two questions I get asked quite frequently as someone who works with a lot of uh, athletes and sort of is, uh, you know, deals with the media but is, is a little bit is, is, do you think that this is going to be a permanent paradigm shift uh, in the way uh, the sports world um, is going to be perceived from a spectator and from a player's perspective, or do you think that the hope is that we will get back to the old normal? Mm. Yeah. What uh, do you think, James? Yeah. I, I don't know if it'll ever be back to where it was. I think there'll be a new normal. Um, yeah. You know, it's, 
you'll have fans back in the arenas and, and, and things like that. But something I didn't mention before that I, I think should be considered is that also think um, the home experience, which keeps continues to get better and better, um, could be of more importance now. You know, so even when, let's say, eight months from now, 12 months from now, uh, the pandemic is, you know, over, um, hopefully, um, there's still going to be a good percentage of the population that's still a little queasy about, you know, packing 30,000, you know, into an NBA arena or 70,000 into a, a NFL or college football stadium. So it's not going to be immediate, you know, like that to where all of a sudden, you know, everybody's going to be fully comfortable going back in. I still think there's going to be a bit of a feeling out process, um, especially with those with children. And, I, and I'm a father of two, you know, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So I'm constantly thinking of, of them, you know, first and foremost, in terms of, you know, things that, you know, we decided to do. And, and that's going to be constant over the next year or two. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be gradual. You know, I think there's going to be sort of a new normal to start. Um, and then, you know, maybe gradually kind of ease back to where it was. But I, I don't know if it will be exactly, uh, you know, the, the same of, of where it was. And, and, and last point I want to bring up, too, um, and this is probably something we'll probably get into, you know, the, the millennial generation, you, you got to consider the attention span of the millennial generation now, you know, I mean, do, do they have three hours to sit, you know, at a game or, you know, in front of a TV to watch, you know, to watch a, a football game or, or, you know, a basketball game. I think these were problems that, that yep. leagues were facing even before the pandemic and just, you know, it was sort of exacerbated and, and you know, rapidly sped up um, during the pandemic. But, you know, that generation is, is taking over, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you know, they're, they're going to be probably the primary consumers. So I, I really think these leagues really have to figure it out. And I know from a media perspective, you know, this is something that's, uh, you know, something that has to be dealt with too, because, uh, you know, millennials, they'll, they'll watch, you know, they'll watch six 10 minute videos, but they might not sit there and watch one single thing for, for 60 minutes. You know, that's just kind of how, how their brain works. It's, it's really interesting. And it's really something that I think all businesses and all leagues and even media have to figure out uh, before it's too late. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, I think that uh, venue owners, team owners yep. um, are really looking at what, what post COVID is, COVID is going to look like. I mean, I know that for a fact because, you know, I also wear the hat of director of photography for AEG's Staples Center and Microsoft Theater. And I know that they are looking at every possible um, yeah. enhancement of fan experience, you know, so, yep. social media to delivery of, of uh, merchandise and food and, and making the experience as great as possible. The Kings, the LA Kings hockey team hired a really uh, innovative, like sort of game presentation director, um, read an article about him yesterday and actually met him at, uh, at Staples last week. And, you know, it's all about what the experience is going to be like, yep. you know, the old days of, of like me going to a game, you know, with my dad to see the Mets or the Rangers or whatever back in New York. And yeah. the only entertainment you got was the organist, you know, and that was it. <laughs> You know, that, that was the only entertainment. Yeah, there was nothing outside the arena. There's nothing inside the arena. You know, those days are over. Um, and uh, had a great conversation, really, with with my former boss, Tim Lywicki, who used to be, you know, he's the president and CEO of, of AEG for years and helped build Staples Center. And his group now has, has brought the new hockey team into Seattle and has yep. – that arena, you know, fully 100% green arena, but all the aspects of enhancing the fan experience. 
And one, yeah. the one last thing where we really saw that, like first and foremost, pre-pandemic was was in Vegas for the Golden Knights, sure. and how they sure. literally brought Vegas into a hockey rink. You know, it's pretty amazing. NBA, of course, has done that. You know, way back going to the back to the first All Star Weekend that I worked in uh, 1984, where it became a, an event, a weekend, a a sort of entertainment around the game kind of event. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking, um, Andy and James, as we were setting up, you know, I look at a guy like James, uh, you know, as a successful uh, guy who had a, a good run as a reporter. And and, and, and Andy, after, obviously, I trained you in the art of photography. You picked it up beautifully. Yes, you uh, did. And, you, and podcasting, you, too, I must add. Yeah, no, no. You, know, I, uh, <clears throat> you ran with it. Uh, you've been one of my best students, actually. So I think to myself, how has technology changed the role of a, you know, a, a leading sports photographer like yourself when everyone's running around with digital uh, cameras on their phone? And also look at James, you know, the role of the reporter completely has changed, uh, you know. Yeah. So what, what does that do uh, to guys like yourself? I mean, I mean, Andrew, Andy, you know, I've discussed, you can always fall back, you know, starting to model underwear. I mean, that's an option. <laughs> Right you know? for the geriatric set, yes, I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I when I was speaking to the team before the uh, podcast, uh, someone pointed out, you know, if I could ask you guys a question, because there are people aspiring to be in the sports world who may not have the athletic uh, prowess to be on the court or the field, but want to be behind the camera or a microphone, and they concerned that the whole world has changed, and you know, is that a still a viable career? Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I, man, I, I really feel sorry for the current group coming out of college that that aspire to be, you know, sports reporters, sport broadcasters, sports writers, um, you know, uh, like like myself and want to have a, a longstanding career. I, I really don't know what the market's going to look like in five years, you know, yeah. let alone in 20 years. And I mean, that uh, just to be fully transparent, that was one of the reasons why I got out of it and got more into the business side. Um, of sports with, uh, you know, with business development. And when I first started, and here, here's a sort of a synopsis of how quickly everything changed. When I first started, this was, I graduated college in 2001 out of Temple University, go Owls. Um, you know, <laughs> all I wanted to be was a, a sports writer, a sports columnist for a newspaper. You know, that, that was my goal. And, and it wasn't that long ago, you know, that was what, 20 years ago. Mm. And, you know, in a matter of five to seven years, newspapers completely started changing and, and, you know, downgrading. And all of a sudden, you know, by 2008, 2009, the newspaper business wasn't even viable anymore. It became sort of an internet driven business. So I, you know, transitioned, you know, I was young, I was young, you know, able to pivot. I think that's kind of one thing that led to my success to where, you know, I was formless enough to say, okay, I can, I can change and sort of get, get more into the internet side of things. You know, that included, you know, doing more radio, you know, more, uh, you know, um, in front of the camera, more things like that. And I got hired by ESPN in 2008. And I spent, ended up spending a majority of my career at ESPN uh, from 2008 to uh, 2018, uh, January 2018, um, doing, uh, you know, a lot of writing, mostly writing, but also doing a lot of in front of the camera work on the radio, you know, things like that, you know, doing a lot of radio spots and, and television hits. And those were things that, you know, coming out of college, I didn't anticipate uh, but you yeah. you almost have to be a master of everything or at least very good 
um, you know, at everything. And, and, and that will help you be versatile enough and formless enough to kind of go where the marketplace is. Currently right now, I think the market is, is in podcasting. I, I think that's, you know, the Spotify's the, you know, if, if you have enough of a brand, enough of a name, it's in branding and podcasting. Uh, but who knows five years from now, it seems like every five years or so, you know, things are changing. So you can't really go into the market as an aspiring journalist, broadcaster, reporter yeah. saying, okay, this is what I want to be for the next 20 years or the next 30 years. Uh, it's, it's just changing way too much um, to where you just have to make sure you hone as much of your strengths, as much as your skills as possible. So you can be formless enough to kind of fit into, um, you know, where the marketplace is going. Very good. Uh, By the way, a- yeah. Andy's business model, James, is to, uh, to sell his podcast to ESPN for $27 billion within the next 30 days. Yeah. That's his goal. I don't think that's aggressive. I think he's on track. I will split that three ways. That's official. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll agree with you, James, totally. I, I, I do feel sorry for um, people aspiring to be in my profession. I, I talk to them almost every day. I'm actually – sort of helping and mentoring a couple of young photographers we have uh, who are working for NBA Photos. Um, and mm-hmm. look, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of Peter Goober's philosophy of having a dream and following that dream and, you know, dreams yeah. plus goals equals destiny. That's one of Peter's famous mantras. And I actually have that printed on the wall of my office. So I could look at it. Say say it again. Dreams. Dreams plus plus goals equals destiny. Right. I like that. But you know, we all start out like you did, James, you started out with this dream to be a writer, sports writer. Right. And that dream, you know, maybe it started to coalesce like maybe in high school and then college. And then that dream becomes a goal. Like for me, um, you know, being a sports photographer became a goal, like a career goal, right? And once I achieved that goal and kind of, you know, planted my flag in the world of sports photography, then I have to figure out, is that my destiny? You know, it's like that. And if it is, I got to figure out how to stay there. And I need to, like you said, be resilient and be able to pivot and be able to embrace new technology and new directions, um, which, I've had to do along the way, as you can imagine, over 40 years. I mean, I started off in the manual cameras film era. You know, it's like the prehistoric. I talked to, <laughs> I teach, I teach upper level photography. You know, and the first question I ask of the very first day, I look out at the students who are younger than my own kids, and I say, um, "How many of you people have shot film?" And they look at me like I literally said a four-letter word, which I did. <laughs> like they, they have no clue. And maybe a few of them have fooled around with film. But um, so, you know, we, we need to kind of circle the wagons a little bit. And, yeah, Anthony, you mentioned that, you know, everybody's a photographer now. Everybody's got a camera in their pocket or their purse or whatever. Um, but what does that really mean? Like what does the craft of photography mean? And how can you – how can you become a great Instagram photographer and earn a living? You know, that's something that was still is kind of foreign to me, but I see people killing it doing that. Right. And my profession, my work, my niche um, continues to evolve, but you know, the NBA still needs team photographers in all 30 cities. All 30 teams need a photographer as well in the NHL and the NFL and the MLB. And I don't see that changing really anytime soon in terms of 
drastically changing, but yes, there are nuances and, and, and new developments that I have to be conscious of or else I'm going to, I'm going to fall by the wayside. The train's going to leave without me. And, and one, one thing I like, I like to add to, um, is, is you get the consumer side is, is changing, you know, as well. Um, particularly yeah. in, in the media side, you know, there was a time when people would sit there and, and read a thousand word story, you know, and, and now, yeah. you know, you can barely get someone to read 140 characters, you know, <laughs> on social media. I mean, that's, that's really how, yeah. you know, how things are consumed uh, now. So I, I, you know, man, if you're a media company, um, you know, even, you know, my former employee ESPN and, and, you know, the places that are successful, you know, it's a challenge to get people to go to your website and consume mm-hmm. stories when they can just go to Twitter and read a timeline mm-hmm. and click on the, you know, snippets that they want. And sometimes all they need is a headline or all they need is a sentence and that's it. You know, they, they don't want to read the whole 500 words, you know, that, that, that comes with it. So, yeah. um, so I, I think that's a challenge too, is just consumer habits. And, and how, you know, how to um, do that. I, I, you know, Andy, I question for you, how, how does, how has consumer habits changed in, in photography if it's changed? Well, people aren't buying magazines. You know, when I first started, it was all about getting published. I mean, my goal, my literal goal was to get published in Sports Illustrated. And I knew that until that happened, I wasn't going to be considered in my own mind, but also like in the world of sports photography, um, legitimate, you know, and when I finally got published in Sports Illustrated, it was early in my career. And then I got my first cover, which was like a moon landing, you know, like in my life, you know, I mean, that really, I, I like, there's no way you can take that away from me. This happened. Um, I don't care if it was a one hit wonder, like I'll never have a hit song again. You know, I got this one. Um, uh, but things have changed so much. Um, I would say printed material has got to be first and foremost. I mean, you and I both know, all of us know how many incredible journalists are out there who are out of a job. I mean, I have, you know, friends who are on staffs of LA times, Chicago, sun times, you know, sports illustrated who are looking for work. I mean, after 20, 30, 40 years, it's crazy. But, you know, yeah. But going back to what you said, James, you know, the key to the whole thing is content and people will read a, you know, good content, 2000 word story. If the content is, if it's worth it, you know, if it's written by, and I, I do it all the time. You know, if I see friends of mine who I respect and maybe I'll gloss over a headline or two, you know, but then boom, I'll see something that really catches my eye, an interesting story or, you know, some kind of expose or whatever it is, a biography of somebody. And I'll spend the time to read it just like I used to. I'm just not reading it, you know, on paper. Mm-hmm. I'm reading it on a screen. Let me, it's talking about uh, uh, pivoting and sort of re- recreating oneself. I would say that the lion's share uh, of the listeners of the, of the Anthony Gordon show, I would say about 2.1 billion of our 2.2 billion listeners um, <laughs> are, are people my age, like millennials. Uh, and, you know, all kidding aside, there's, there's so many of these youngsters, and you and I have spoken about it, James, we've chatted about it, uh, that to use the old cliche, are, are leading lives of quiet desperation, they're looking for direction, scary times out there. Um, and over the years, what I've found, especially when I'm with, with athletes, 
is to use their platform as an opportunity to impart some life wisdom, life ideas. Uh, you know, both of you have had just <clears throat> uh, unbelievable opportunities. And uh, just, uh, I looked uh, again before the show, Andy, the book that you you uh, you co-authored with the late, great Kobe Bryant on the mama mentality. It's about life. It's, you know, obviously the, the photographs are spectacular. Uh, I looked at, you know, James, you've, uh, you know, looking at a picture on the screen here with you and Warren Buffett. And uh, obviously this is more than just uh, sport. So I'd be keen uh, for our audience's perspective uh, on just some ideas that you can help extrapolate from watching sport at such a high level and we uh, sort of tools and ideas for life uh, that can hopefully impart some some light to, at a very dark time for a lot of people. Yeah, I, something that I learned that, that's always stuck with me early on um, th through sports that I kind of carry through life is that human relations are the biggest resource that we have. Yep. And I, I think especially with technology, you know, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of times that gets ignored. You know, it's like people think that technology is the biggest resource we have or, or finances or, you know, just certain things. are. But really, it's it's that human to human connection, relationship, interaction, uh, network. Um, you know, th those are, are the things that I feel that, that really yeah. matter and also can, can take you the furthest, you know, and like. A lot of relationships that I've, I've built in the locker room over time that, that I still have, I, I, I value those, you know, and, and, and those are the things that, that are for a lifetime. It's, it's better than any particular story that I wrote or any Super Bowl that I covered or any particular, you know, event or game or, or, or things like that. It's, it's really that, that, that human connection, that human interaction. And I think, I think nowadays that's, it's, it's getting diminished in value, but I, I think, I think that's, that's, it shouldn't be that way. You know, I, I think more people want to connect over a text or over a computer or over social media that they kind of lose that, um, that they kind of lose that. But, you know, my, my advice would be, especially for those who are looking to, you know, ascend in sports or in business or entertainment or, or whatever is to make sure you value those human, human, uh, you know, relationships and, and, and build them and cultivate them, you know, and, and, and those are the things that, that, that really take you far. Like there, to me, there's a such thing as, as, you know, emotional intelligence. That, that's another thing, yeah. you know, you don't learn emotional intelligence in college. You don't learn, um, you know, the ability to communicate or the ability to not panic or not to overreact or the ability to not burn a bridge, um, you know, certain things, like that, 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 that no one is going to sit down and teach you or, or talk to you about. Um, and, and you, you have to, you have to work on that. You have to, you know, to, to, to be able to do that. And something that really helped me as a journalist that I think has helped me transition to the business world is to be good on deadline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every day we had deadlines, you know, same thing for you, Andy, I'm sure you, you couldn't turn in a picture an hour late or a minute late, you know, definitely not a day late. Um, I couldn't turn in, in a story or if I had to be on sports center at six ten, I couldn't be in front of the camera at six twelve. You know, my that, yeah. that, my spot's done. It's over. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the ability to handle deadlines and not you know to be good under pressure and not panic, and yeah. uh, you know, I think all those kind of things fit into you know the emotional intelligence. So those are the two things I would say: emotional intelligence, um, you know, the, the 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 human interaction, human relations. You know, the, those things uh, stand the test of time, no matter how much technology and things like that have, have you know, kind of crept into our lives. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will echo that. Um, my whole career is built on relationships. 
honestly. I, uh, you know, there are a lot of really good sports photographers, and I, quite frankly, consider myself kind of middle of the pack. Um, <clears throat> I could probably count off 10 off the top of my head that, you know, are much better than me. <laughs> but Including was, me, Andy. Right. But I, through, through my ability and excuse me maybe it's you know i was born with it i learned from my dad whatever um my ability to establish relationships early and and james like like you're saying in in your profession as well relationships have to have to have a tremendous amount of trust right so you know when i was able to gain the trust of Pat Riley very early in my career and then magic. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole Laker organization, like they trusted that I'm not going to make them look bad. That's not, wasn't my job anyway, but that I could be in the room, you know, and wouldn't be a distraction and, uh, and could, you know, be embedded with the team or whatever. And then, you know, part B to that is, is, is never making it about you. Yeah. so, you know, I, I, I teach my students and I talk about it a lot that there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You know, you can yeah. be really confident and really confident in what you do. And, and, and just like you said, James, you, you produce on deadline, you give the client what they want, whoever's paying you, um, and, and then some. Um, but if you're arrogant about it, yep. who's going to want to work with you, really? I mean, I, I've, I've seen some people come and go in my life that I'm just blown away. It's like, dude, just dial it back, man. It's not about you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You can go home and, you know, go sit on your throne and have your kids homage you, but don't do it out in the, (laughs) don't do it out in the workplace. And um, I think that that's kind of one of my strengths, quite honestly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. you know, also early in my career, I was, I was very driven and I had this sort of um, chip on my shoulder, which was kind of arrogant. And I was taught very early to, to dial that back um, by a couple of mentors. One in particular was my teacher while I was still in school um, who basically told me, don't blow it. You know, yeah. don't be your worst, own worst enemy. And um, I've taken that to heart. So talking about mentors and talking about, you know, uh, I think both of those those uh, sound bites are, are are extremely true to life and very very uh, very helpful. Both of you have been around, uh, you know, famous people, prominent people. Can you share with our listeners uh, an iconic moment or something that was a sound bite, a discussion that left an indelible impression in your mind's eye? I mean, Andy, I, I can I've got to imagine. Um, at least reading what you what you were so kind enough to to to, to give me the, the mama mentality. I mean, Kobe was a, was a philosopher, you know. I mean, besides being one of the most gifted athletes, and he, I mean, there's so many life lessons. And uh, you know, I, I'm very keen to, uh, if you could, uh, obviously things that are not personal, share with our listeners things that really that really hit the spot, and maybe that you've now break in, sort of included in your arsenal. Uh, you know, of life tools. Well, we're talking about Kobe, who is one of the most influential people in my life, uh, not not just professionally, but personally watching his, his work ethic from day one, you know, as an 18 year old kid and 
it, it just blew me away that this kid was was relentless. You know, he's obsessed. Yeah. He was relentless. Um, you know, a couple of main pillars of the Mamba mentality are obsession and 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 just relentlessness. And and he he had an edge to him that that kept pushing himself forward. And I really um, together with what I saw with Magic very early, like Magic mm-hmm. had a work ethic that at that point I had never really seen before, even in my personal life. My dad had a good work ethic, but I had never seen a guy come to work like lunch pail in hand every single game, every practice. It could be a meaningless January game against, you know, Sacramento or an NBA finals game or even a practice um, or a commercial shoot. But he brought it all the time. He never, he, he never, you know, never mailed it in, as we like to say. So, you know, I remember, I'll give you one example with Magic. Um, very first commercial thing I ever shot with him was was a poster for Converse. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an elaborate set that I had to have sort of built. And he was doing a commercial, like in a soundstage, and I had my set built. And and during a break in shooting, this is how it usually goes, break of, of the video, the athlete comes over and does the print work, you know, which is kind of a throw in, yeah. but it's actually pretty important because it's going to be the ad campaign or whatever. <clears throat> and um, back in the day when we were shooting film, of course, you know, we had to shoot a Polaroid of a stand in. So I had, I actually had hired a model that was sort of his same build and skin tone and all that stuff. And so mm-hmm. I had it all dialed in and magic comes on the set and, you know, he's very nice. And, you know, we had known each other by that point. And uh, I pick up the camera with, with the Polaroid and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm taking the Polaroid to make sure it's all good. He goes, uh-uh. He says, when I come on your set, no Polaroids, you be ready. <laughs> Wow. And he and I still joke 40 something years later, we still joke about that because I learned I got to be ready. Right. He, that's his thing. And so um, and that even ratcheted up my preparation even further. Right. Wow. <clears throat> it was very stressful. But, you yeah. know, when I when it came to then shooting Kobe or Michael Jordan or, you know, I wasn't screwing around with Polaroids. I, I needed so how, to, I get lit very you, little time. If you had to summarize that into a life lesson uh would you say always be on your game just if we had to add a little hallmark card from that being that we, you know, I, I, I would say i would say preparation is the key to success i mean i know it's cliche and all yeah. that stuff but it really is i mean you know james is you know he didn't just wing it you know i mean it just like yeah. like you said he didn't just show up a minute before he went live um, you know, he did his research. He, he, he did everything he had to do to prepare himself, even, you know, sure. how he looked on camera, even thinking in the morning, what am I going to be wearing when I'm on camera nine hours from now? You know, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's, in, that is embedded. Yeah. It, it's just deeply in, embedded in me. And I, I drill that into the people who work with me, the students I teach is like, you're going to go out to an assignment. You're going to have one camera, one lens, one flash. What if one of the top of those three breaks, then what are you going to do? You're not going to run out to the camera store. So bring an extra one, you know, bring Be prepared. <laughs> exactly. It's all about preparation. Awesome. And, and, and one of, one of my best mentor stories, uh, it, it's not as high profile, but it's more so in, in the journalism realm. 
Um, I was actually an intern at the Atlanta Journal Constitution um, some 20, 20 years ago. And, you know, I, I, coming out of college, I couldn't get a job, full-time job out of college. Uh, so I took the best internship opportunity I had. I figured that would buy me time, um, you know, do a good internship and, and, you know, maybe three months later, get, get a job. And one of the first people that I met there, who is, you know, my mentor to this day, um, a predominant columnist, one of the first black columnists in the country, and, you know, still uh, a predominant sports columnist based out of Atlanta. His name is Terrence Moore. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and he, uh, I was leaving the building and he, you know, he kind of pulled me aside and, you know, said, hey, James, come, come, come with me. Come take a walk with me, basically. <laughs> he, you know, he walked me to his car, his car and, you know, me being a, you know, 20, 21 year old intern, and I had no idea, you know, what, <laughs> what was going down, what the conversation was going to be about. And he, you know, we basically sat in his car Man, I, I would say at least more than an hour or so. And, and you know, he kind of, in that time, he kind of just schooled me on everything to prepare for. And, and I think the thing that stuck with me most is that you got to have thick skin. And he was basically telling me what I need to prepare for in the next, you know, 20 years or so, mm-hmm. you know, especially if I'm going to be successful. You know, you got you to have thick skin. There's going to be criticism that's going to come from, you know, your readers, the public, uh, maybe it, your coworkers. There's going to be criticism from all over the place. This is the time that you need, if you don't have it already, that you need to have thick skin. And fortunately, with, with my upbringing, I, I felt like I already had that. Um, and, you know, it, it just made me, you know, have that even more. And, and I, I still remember that conversation uh, mostly because of that, because that was something that, you know, you, you have to have, you know, not, not everyone is going to like your work. You know, even if you win awards and cover major events and all, all those kind of things, it's going to be a sector of the public that's going to think that, you know, that they can do your job better than you or, you know, or that you didn't do a good job or, you know, you didn't. Um, so, so that, that was something that I felt was very, very helpful and needed at that moment. And sometimes advice is, is, is timing, you know, sometimes it's, it's the timing at the time that you need to hear it. And, you know, it's, it's the right message at the time that you need to hear it. And, and Terrence Moore, um, you know, who is, uh, you know, my, my biggest mentor. And I, I don't know if I would be, where I, where I am to, well, I wouldn't be where I am today if it, if it wasn't uh, for him. And so that, that's what I pass along to this audience is that whatever you choose to do, have thick skin, you know, that goes back to the self-confidence and things like that, um, you know, that, that you can do the job, but have thick skin because there's always going to be some level of criticism, uh, you know, from some sector of the public and what you do. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So I, 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 I want to be respectful of, of everyone's time here. It's uh, about 11.15 in LA, which is we got an hour before Andy's bedtime, so we <clears throat> we gotta. Uh, he, he has what I always like to ask guests uh, to wrap this up. Two questions to both of you, James. Um, if you had to give a TED talk, Andy and James, and the marching orders was you know something that can hopefully impart um, tools for life based on your, your, your background in sport, what would the topic be? And second question, the last question before this, the curtain falls and the 20 minute standing ovation starts is if you could meet any person in the world and spend some time with them, dead or alive, who would that person be? Mm. Wow. You go first, James, because I got to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that does require some thought. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the TED talk. Um, I'll start with the TED talk first. Um, I think the topic of my talk would be focusing on the things that make you big and avoiding the things that make you small. 
Mm, very nice. And, and what, what I mean by that is that we're all imperfect. We're all, you know, we all have things that we absolutely, you know, are terrible at, cannot do. Uh, you know, I'm bad around the house, for example. I could barely anything above fixing a light bulb. I, I just I just can't do it. You know, it's, it, there's just certain things. I, I think that we certain gifts and certain skills that we are born with. And I, I, I feel that there's, a, you know, the one of the big challenges in our life is to find those skills that we have, discover them and then to hone them and really focus in on them. And, and I feel like, the, the, you know, that's kind of the fine line between those who are successful and, and, and not successful. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people that focus on the things that make them small that they can't do, you know, that hurts everything. That hurts confidence. That hurts success. That hurts how far you travel in life. That could hurt your career. That could hurt your relationships. Um, but if you really are able to be self-aware, you know, which I think is, is big, is self-awareness, knowing the things that you're good at, knowing the things that make you big, that brings everything together. That brings together confidence, that brings success, um, you know, that brings a, a lot of those things together. So, so that, that, would be, that would be my TED talk, um, you know, with, with that. Um, as far as, you know, who I would, who I would like to communicate with, uh, you know, Barack Obama's huge, um, you know, he's alive, obviously, um, you know, just, just, for him to, to rise as fast as he did, you know, as, as a minority and then, you know, to be the leader of the free world uh, for two terms and what he had to go through, um, you know, just just to, to pick his brain and the life lessons that would come from that. I'm actually reading his book right now as, as we speak. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably the, the person for awesome. most in my mind. Mm. Brilliant. I, I, I was How would you say, respond, Andy? You know, I was going to say, Obama, um, so I, you know, you and I can both hang out with with the former president. Um, but if it wasn't Obama, it would probably be Muhammad Ali. Um, unfortunately, wow. we don't have him around. But yeah. um, his, his history and, and what he stood for and what he, uh, you know, now, you know, 50 years later, um, after his title was stripped from him uh, and the way he stood up for literally what he believed in, you know, and became a movement. Um, and, and I'm learning so much now about athlete activism and what black lives matter really means and where it came from. And, and, and those athletes that led the way, I mean, he was, you know, first and foremost. So that that was, um, yeah, that would be one. And then the, the Ted talk would be, um, maybe the title of my Ted talk would be bring your biggest toolbox (laughs) because because I've been taught. Well, just, in, what's the topic? Any the topic would be bring bring your biggest toolbox. So we're nixing the topic, the greatness of Anthony Gordon. That's next, right? Well, that that would be that would be the the second one I would give after I was asked back <laughs> after this one. Um, but well, the reason I say that is that in life and in business, um, I've been taught that there are a lot of tools out there for me to be able to draw on. Um, in, in business, if it, it could be mentorship, uh, you know, people who I can really draw on their experience um, and, yep. and, and their help. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Even at this point in, in all of our careers, there are still people out there that I seek out. And uh, there are still mentors in my life that have been there, you know, since I started college that are still, you know, almost, I don't want to say daily, but pretty close to daily are people that I check in with. Um, and in life, um, you got to be able to 
to weather the ups and downs of life. You know, I, I've had some major challenges in my life um, and, you know, went through a hellacious custody battle. I, wow. I needed to be able to get through that um, and, and really seek out people who could help me with that. And it all turned out great, but it was very difficult at the time. Sure. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in my personal relationships, in my recovery life, I've been in recovery now almost 20 years now. I don't even think that we've talked about that, Anthony, but that's a whole other subject. But that has really helped me understand uh, what gratitude means, what, what, I'm, what I really stand for as a person, which I can yep. bring into my business life. Because for like the first two thirds of my business life, I was just driven to just keep attaining and moving forward and achieving, right. you know, and that was fine then, but it's not working. That wasn't working for me now. Sure. <laughs> and now that I've pivoted my business life and, you know, to my, my new platform, Legends of Sport, I have to be able to be very clear as to what the mission of that is and, mm -hmm. uh, and be able to use the tools that are available to me. So I, I want to say the following, I think it's a nice way to wrap this up. What we, we've all been, I mean, the three of us have been blessed with, you know, in some areas of our lives. I think the one area that I've been blessed with is in, in the realm of public speaking as a, in the public speaking circuit, every course and seminar <clears throat> that I've been to, it comes down to, be real, be authentic. Mm -hmm. I want to say to both of you guys, and I'm not just saying this, Andy and, and James, I think what makes you guys likable and what make you, makes you guys resonate is in a world where, which, which seems to place a premium of form over substance. You're both guys of substance. You're both guys that are real. You're both guys that are, have no problem articulating struggles, vicissitudes, uh, I'll share one of these stories with one of my mentors is that, uh, you know, people dream of this, this erroneous notion that life should be very smooth. But if you look at EKG, that's what life is. And God forbid it flatlines, <laughs> you're dead. And as long as you're going to be living in this world, there's going to be the ebbs and flows. Uh, you guys are, uh, you know, I think very real. I think that, uh, that, that that's really what I think people are looking for. People want authenticity. People want, uh, you know, the, uh, the plasticity and everything that I think we see often, uh, you know, on, in, in, the, uh, in the new virtual world. I think it's repugnant to a lot of people, and we're starting to see research about that. So first, I want to thank both of you for being good friends, for adding <clears throat> tremendous uh, ideas and wisdom. James and I are going to be working together at Adeptus Partners, so we're going to have uh, a lot to do. Andy, you and I will obviously uh, be uh, be close in uh, mm -hmm. in uh, you know here in California. Uh, I want to wish you both Godspeed. Wish you uh, a fantastic weekend, and we will no doubt our paths will cross soon in the near future. Thanks for your time, and folks, thanks once again for uh, listening to the Anthony Gordon Show. Until next time, have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks, guys. Hey, Brilliant. Fun. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.